Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. The show today is just me uh, by myself talking about the wellness pyramid, but I asked my uh, podcast producer, Dana, to speak up. She had some things that were relevant to the conversation. So I am glad that we're doing this podcast because I don't have to work. It's great. So I, I thank you for coming on, Mike, and I thank you for talking to me while I talk about the wellness pyramid. Sure. And um, so you were telling me a story, and I think it's pretty relevant, and we can use it as an example of uh, how we would navigate the wellness pyramid. So why don't you tell me about what happened to you? Yeah, well, uh, I have had insomnia a few nights this week, and I'm not really sure why. Usually I have it just one night, and then I feel like crap the next day, and then I sleep it off and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. So it's been three nights this week, and I have noticed uh, an allergy attack um, kind of ongoing, but last night was particularly bad. So uh, I can assume that the allergy attack lent to the insomnia, or it could be a coincidence. I'm just not really sure what's going on. But I know that uh, part of your wellness pyramid is uh, lifestyle. That's the bottom, I believe. Mm -hmm. So you can probably you can probably help me figure out like yeah, what's what going on. This sounds like so typical of what happens as a day as a uh, of a pharmacist in uh, in Woodstock and uh, a holistic pharmacist that I am. I look at more things than than what you're telling me. So you're saying you're not sleeping. A lot of people would say, "Well, here's the sleeping medicine. I'm having these allergy symptoms. Here's this allergy medicine." But more importantly to me. Um, is that everybody um, uh, uh, steps through this process uh, in a systematic manner to try to m eliminate any of the potential variables, any of the things that could happen, right? So if you have allergies, is it possible that you have a hole in your roof that is blowing uh, sawdust down into your bed? <laughs> that should be checked probably before we take any allergy medicine, because if there's some sort of environmental factor at play here, uh, that could be what's triggering this whole process. The idea that you can't sleep, that could be related to your allergies. So it, uh, giving you sleeping supplements or medications would only be masking something more important, more um, uh, emergent to deal with that could resolve both problems at the same time. So the idea here is that we, we want to have a system for people. Everybody's got a gimmick and that's a problem, right? Because then you're picking up everybody's gimmick, right? You're swinging vine to vine. It's going, okay, well, I'm going to do the, the no sleep allergy diet, and then I'm going to try the uh, no chocolate allergy, you know, uh, breathing over a pot system. I would pot never system. try that Yeah, diet. you wouldn't do that? No, no. Chocolate is very important in my <laughs> life as well. So you could, you know, try all these different things. But my my approach here is like, let's do, let's let's come up with a gimmick that isn't a gimmick, that is a tried and true uh, and evidence-based. And, and so I call it the wellness pyramid. And the reason I call that, uh, because I really like three-sided shapes. But the <laughs> you, when we were taught in pharmacy school how to treat someone, right? We were taught uh, a stepwise process. One, lifestyle modifications. Two, over-the-counter options. And then three medicine, medications, all that other stuff. So if you think about the wellness pyramid, um, it is a three-step process for addressing any potential um, medical 
concern that you may have, um, the bottom of the pyramid being those lifestyle interventions. So these are the things that you can do. You have the most agency over these things, lifestyle modifications, diet, stress management, exercise, sleep, and do you have a hole in your roof, the environmental factors, right? You may have difficulty sleeping because you literally lay on a a bed of nails all night, right? So we have to address all of those things uh, before we can say, I need uh, to take a supplement for sleep. Um, The middle of the pyramid then are those supplements and over-the-counters, the the things that you can buy. Um, Between the bottom and the middle, though, I have this little like sub-area that I call the Vital Five, and I'll probably have to rename that in the future because I'm sure somebody's already like trademarked that uh, to the wazoo. But essentially, these are the five nutrients that most of us don't get enough of in our diets, uh, even with the best diet. So somebody that's super disciplined may not be getting enough omega-3 fatty acids or exposure to all the different strains that a probiotic could give them. Um, the National Institute of Health says on average, most of us only get about uh, uh, only about 40% of us get enough calcium every day, for example. As we age, we don't get enough protein. So these are the nutrients that um, all of us would benefit from. So um, there's also this growing body of evidence around these different nutrients saying that there are profound health benefits on multiple body systems if you get the right nutrients. Uh, Just a a quick example, going back, one of them is omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, So fish oil is the big determinant. So there's a growing body of evidence that high dose uh, omega-3 intake on a daily basis can reduce your risk of heart disease and even Alzheimer's as long as it's paired with a good diet. So these are really important things. So the so what what are what are the five yeah. like why don't you just list them? I'll just list them. So the five are omega-3 fatty acids, probiotics, uh, so good bacteria that are beneficial to your gut, calcium and bone Uh, nutrients, I should say. So like vitamin D and all the other things that can help out with bone health, uh, protein. And the last, uh, micronutrients is probably the best way to say it. Uh, some people call them multivitamins. I tell people to throw away their multivitamin. That's a whole nother conversation, but, uh, some people need micronutrients. People that are vegan need B12 and iron and stuff like that. So, uh, we have to make sure that we're getting all the micronutrients that might be missing from even our best diets. So those are the vital five. Thank you for helping me with that. And then the, so then the supplements that you, uh, need to take. Um, if you want to try a supplement or an over-the-counter medication for your allergy symptoms, I'm just suggesting that with this whole thing, you just be a little bit more scientific about it. You just don't go out and you buy things because somebody told you to do it. You want to have like specific scientific approach to, uh, using a supplement, um, instead of just going willy nilly. Uh, the top of the pyramid then is the experts, the medical professionals. This is the, where you have to get a prescription for prescription medicines. You have to go to your doctor. You have to get lab tests done. You can have surgery. Uh, these are all, uh, important parts and and all three of these pieces need to exist in order for us to live our best lives so how does this pertain to you well uh, this will kind of make you think about everything um, as it relates to each other so the 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 stuff I'm feeling bad about today what what uh, is contributing to that. What potential lifestyle factors are are leading to the allergies that I'm, I'm feeling? Is there a lifestyle thing? And if there isn't, then we know that confidently we removed all the variables 
from the equation and we can now experiment with supplements and if we try supplements or over-the-counter medications and don't get the results that we're looking for then we know that we can confidently go to our doctor and say doc we've tried everything now what we need an expert so um, that's what i like about it from from that perspective um the the for you um the bottom of the pyramid uh you know what what can make people not sleep well at night right so if you eat uh i don't know a box of chocolate chip cookies about tw 10 minutes before you get go to bed and with a mountain dew i would say that diet had a pretty big influence on your insomnia um there are some people that have reflux or some other symptoms uh, that could keep them up all night. So, so diet can contribute to insomnia. Diet can contribute to allergies um, if you eat foods that uh, you're having an allergy to, for sure. It can increase those symptoms of, of how you feel. Um, so um, do, let me, do you want me to dive more into the bottom of the pyramid? What would you like? How could I help you as the patient today? Well, um, actually, I think for me, you may have already kind of hit the nail on the head because I was thinking about how my week had been going. Um, I ate a lot of spicy food yesterday spicy and I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that was part of it. I also was sitting behind a computer all day, so I didn't really get to, you know, expend any energy. So that was probably built up and just keeping me awake. It, it sounds like it was a lot of factors. And as soon as you said, is there a hole in your roof? Um, I actually <laughs> I realized about... I had a hole in my roof. <laughs> what? The, <laughs> the window in my room, um, there's a small gap. It, it's very minuscule and it's kind of nice because I feel a light breeze on my face at night so I don't mm -hmm. overheat. Um, but that could definitely be blowing pollen in also right into my face because it literally blows them, you know, like my eyes, nose area. Right. So the, the, the thing is, is that there's allergens in the environment, especially in the wintertime. You have pollen in the spring, but mold is the big one in, in, mm. in, the, in the winter. And so that could be uh, getting into your, into your air at the house. So the environmental factors play a big role. Changing your filters out on your AC units is an important thing. Otherwise, you'll be pushing dust all over the place, right? So mm. the... Yeah, so I think that you're hitting on some good points, right? We we don't want to just reach for um, uh, products right away. We want to take our time and make sure that we're eliminating all the potential variables here. So, all right, let's dig deeper into the pyramid, though, because that was really what I wanted to do today and not talk about your problems. I mean, come on, this isn't the therapy hour, I Dana. so <laughs> many problems. Why did I show up? <laughs> so let's talk about the bottom of the pyramid, and we will keep going back to this because you were talking about, um, like, being pent up in a house, and that's an important uh thing to consider a lot of people don't get enough activity in their lives so mm. but let's talk about the bottom of the pyramid the the lifestyle choices that we make the things we do um so there are diet stress management sleep exercise environmental stuff we've touched on environmental stuff you know for sleeping you have to have a nice comfy bed it's a third of your life spend the money right so get a, uh, a pillow get a nice comfy mattress have a cool breeze if you like a cool breeze make it really warm if, if you like it hot um, just get your environment to be uh, set up in that you know it, it provides the the most comfort for your sleep um, from an allergy perspective the environmental stuff plays a huge role the if your air is poor quality you're living in the middle of the city and it's smoggy all the time you you know you may have allergies or asthma problems so we have to control our environment as best as we can so of those other four diet stress sleep and exercise which one would you like to talk about first it's your day Ooh, well um i i think exercise is 
it's just such a, a key thing. Uh, personally, I just bought a, a mini stepper because I am so sedentary. Um, I, I work mostly from home behind mm-hmm. a computer. And, um, you know, I'm a producer. A lot of my job is simply listening to shows. And it occurred to me that instead of listening or sitting rather mm-hmm. while I'm listening, I could be doing anything. Right. I don't have a lot of space. So I bought a mini stepper and I'm not even going crazy on it. Right. Uh, I'm just literally just moving my legs so I'm not sitting all day. And I think, um, you know, there's been uh, a lot of, you know, there's there's walking desks and riding desks, even standing desks. And all of those things are so important. And I think uh, that needs to be driven home to people how yeah. important it is to move every day. For sure. The, you know, the our lifestyles are, are extremely sedentary. We work and most of us have office jobs. We're producing stuff on computers, just like she's saying. So the that's a super smart idea. As long as that stepper doesn't turn into a clothes rack, that's all I'm worried about. You know, just make sure that it actually gets use. And, and you know, like you said, you don't have to be doing crazy amounts of stuff, very, uh, a low impact, uh, for a, a while, an hour inside, you know, while you're listening to a podcast, you can, you know, spend some time on there and get way more activity than doing nothing. We tell people all the time when you're watching TV, if you're if you're still uh, watching stuff with commercials, then get up during the commercials and walk around the room, do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, do some planks, do something like that. Cardiovascular exercise will reduce the risk of heart disease, uh, which then relates to the, your risk of Alzheimer's. So our boogeymen today are those guys, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, and exercise has been shown to be a fundamental part of the uh, risk reduction. Moving your body will keep you alive longer, and it also make you feel better in the short term. It'll make your, your clothes fit better. You'll, you'll be super svelte, right? And everybody will, will, will love you. So the, you know, when I, I have a big push when it comes to what exercises people should do because of my background, I was a pharmacist that worked with people over 65. And if you're listening, don't take offense to this, but they're technically called the elderly. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not calling you old, but I'm saying that technically anybody over 65 is elderly. And we would work on specific exercises to improve gait and balance. So it's not really just about removing your heart disease risk and all this other stuff. Exercise makes it so you can stand up, walk, and not fall over. Right. And that is a very, very important thing, especially for people over 65. The risk of falls uh, can be a big issue. My favorite two exercises that anybody can do and you can do it without an exercise machine is lunges and squats. Those will work those big joints, those big muscles of your leg, and they help out with balance. If you're new to that business, I don't want you to fall over because a podcast told you to do this exercise. So make sure that you're holding on to uh, like a surface while you do those. We'll post on the um, on the on the page. We'll post uh, some examples of people doing lunges and squats. Not me because I can barely do a few myself, <laughs> but uh, that is very important. The other exercise besides cardiovascular exercise, lunges and squats, that I would want everybody to do is core exercises. This also will help out with your overall strength and uh, well-being. Um, you can do planks, so get into push-up position, except just hang out on your elbows and hold that for as long as you can. When I uh, had the the kids were small like I have triplets right so they would all pile on my back while I was do plank so I got an extra workout the tw- three 20 pound triplets on my back uh, got me that is really so strong. adorable I it, think I just ovulated <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> security all right so we uh, the other way that you can do core exercises by holding out a gallon of milk so take a gallon of milk make sure there's 
actually a gallon of milk in it. It's just not a gallon container. And you hold it out for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. And then that will also uh, work your upper core muscles. So that's exercise. What are we going to talk about next? Sleep, stress, diet? What are you thinking? Ooh, let's, um, well, let's talk about diet. I mean, that's equally as important as exercise. You know, those are the big two in my book. Yeah, uh, you know, we we are what we practice, right? And we have the opportunity up to eight times a day, if you eat correctly, to make good decisions. And the the nice thing is, is that our diets are pretty forgiving. So it, I don't want anybody to have a perfect diet. What I want everybody to do is to make good decisions around their diet and work towards a, a day where every time they decide to eat, it's it's of the optimal foods and timing and balance and all of that other stuff. So my problem with diets and diet advice, why we put it on the pyramid and why we stress it so much is that everybody's talking smack. Nobody's doing what's right. So what's right when it comes to a diet isn't sexy. It isn't attractive. Um, it, it takes diligence. It takes determination. You have to just be persistent and, and do it every day. And, and everybody's out there promoting their new gimmick or fad. You know, we're going to do paleo. We're going to do keto, intermittent fasting. There was a fat guy on TV that was promoting cookies. You know, eat, I, who stole the cookie from, you remember that? The whole mm-hmm. thing? Oh my God, it was horrible. So, so all of these things are f- pretty far from our best understanding of what nutrition should be. And so what we try to do is to, to, to try to create a, a dietary program that is in line with the best nutritional advice that we can possibly give. So most people have crap diets. And even if you have a good diet, you're still not 100% there. And one of the coolest things that I like about my the wellness pyramid here is that it's made for people um, that are beginners, but it also is applicable to those black belts. So if, even if you get all of the stuff that I'm, I'm going to raise up here, then there's still the opportunity for it to be improved. So I like to strip away all the misconceptions and preconceptions of foods. And I want to ask you a question, Dana. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me an example of a healthy food? Uh, it probably would uh, a green leafy vegetable. Is green leafy vegetable is a healthy thing. food. Yes, everybody. You know why we say green leafy vegetable and why we don't say to eat your greens? Because uh, broccoli has, I, I think, broccoli, while it's very good for you, that type of vegetable might affect... Um, people with thyroid issues adversely. Huh. I was thinking that when I tell people to eat greens, they bring green M&Ms in and they want to eat those. Like, oh, I, that's I, much I, funnier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you were going all scientific. No, it was just because people like will, will skate around eating healthy food as, as much as they can. So I don't know why we the girls downstairs were making fun of me because I always say green leafy vegetables, but I don't have any good adjectives for reds or blues. So mm. we have to come up with some good adjectives for the next podcast. But so you're right. Mm. So the green leafy vegetables are, you know, kale, Swiss chard, all of the, you know, collards, all of that stuff is, is healthy. The next question is why? Uh, is it okay? Wait, 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 I bet I know this. There's fiber. Yes. Yes. Um, and also the something to do with, um, uh, oh, what is, what is it they have instead of blood? What is that? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm blanket on this word. They have plant blood. And, yes, uh, and we <laughs> are the, we are plant vampires. That's so the that's, technical term. Yeah. but I meant like you know the street term. The street term. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, but you are right. You are uh, you you're trying. Uh, but here here's the thing. Like we make this more complicated than it needs to be. And and this is the point of this exercise because when I say to somebody, 
name a healthy food, they talk about, oh, well, I get my organic, green, delicious apple from a local farm. And they talk about all these complex pictures. And what I'm saying is fruit is healthy, right? Why is fruit healthy? Fruit is healthy because it's rich in one of the three macronutrient groups. So, you know, big nutrients. So Mm -hmm. proteins, good fats, complex carbohydrates. That's how you determine if a food is healthy. Just use that as your definition from here on out. All of those other things about the vitamins and fiber content, that is important. But you know, you are a white belt in the dietary world now, and you're not a black belt. So I don't expect you to be doing the forms and the the moves of the black belt. Focus on the white belt knowledge, which is, okay, so a green leafy vegetable is a rich in complex carbohydrates. So that's what makes that a healthy food. That's where you need to start and stay at for a little bit. So then let's run it over all of this stuff. So an apple is a uh, complex carbohydrate. A piece of chicken is a protein. So it's rich in protein sources. So that's what makes that healthy. Let's throw out nuts like almonds and stuff. Where do you think that would fall? Uh, that is uh, mostly fat, but also protein. Look at you go. You mm-hmm. could be a pharmacist tomorrow. Okay. Then the, the big mouth pharmacist is Dana. Yay. Woo. So uh, the you're right. So proteins and fats and eggs are the same way. Proteins and fats. So let's talk about yogurt. Because Mm -hmm. one of the first answers that I get when somebody, I say, what's a healthy food? They'll say yogurt. So is yogurt a healthy food? Only if it's plain yogurt Mm -hmm. and not flavored because they add a ton of sugar to those flavored ones. Right. Uh, Yogurt is only healthy because our definition is is if it's rich in proteins, fats, or complex carbohydrates. So a yogurt is only healthy if it's rich in protein, rich in good fat, and low in all those other gross things, sugars and and such, right? Mm -hmm. So... um, Uh, I guess I don't want to name any names here, but uh, (laughs) there are lots of brands of yogurt that people are eating. And if you look at the side of the label, the amount of protein per serving is very low, you know, less than eight grams. And uh, the amount of fat is low. You'll get no low fat yogurt because people think fat's the devil. I'm trying to tell you that fat is good. Good fat is good, not bad fat. So we'll we'll talk about those in another episode. But the the idea of um, a good, healthy Greek yogurt, like Faye, for example, has a, a great Greek yogurt that is uh, full of uh, protein. It's like 8 to 12 grams per serving and lots of good fat with very, very uh, low amounts of simple carbohydrates like grains and sugars and stuff like that. So, um, so that is the yogurt example. So what makes a food healthy is that it is rich in proteins, fats, and complex carbohydrates. And... That's the definition you should go with. So uh, when you look at your food, you can say pretty clearly, is this a healthy food just based on that example? All right. So I think we beat this concept up enough about like what makes a food healthy. If we just stay in this very simple area, you'll have a much better uh, way to navigate all these crazy trend diets that are telling you to not eat proteins in the morning and and to skip out on on, uh, fruits and vegetables that have too many sugars in them and all all of this complex stuff. Just focus on having a diet that's rich in proteins, good fats, and complex carbohydrates. Um, So the best data in nutrition science agrees that small meals eaten frequently is the way to fly. So it optimizes your blood sugar, fuels your your brain, keeps, keeps your energy levels up, and improves your metabolism rates or your metabolism's raring. So there's all of these advantages to eating small, frequent meals. The question that I ask you then, what's a meal? Can you define that for me, Dana? What would you say a meal would be? 
Well, uh, based on what you have just said, mm-hmm. I would <laughs> I would imagine it has to be um, a, a good balance of protein, uh, complex carbs, and fats. You are so right. Mm. You're left. That's how right you are. Oh my so God. all meals need to be properly balanced, just like Thanos uh, said in Infinity War. We no. want <laughs> we want all three macronutrients at the right amounts. That's what makes a meal healthy. So we want to pick healthy foods. We want to pick uh, pair them up in, in in a way to make a healthy meal, and then we want to have a healthy day by eating those meals timed properly throughout the day. Now, is there a um, is there like a winning ratio of those three components? Yeah, so you should shoot for about fifty percent complex carbohydrates. Uh, so fruits and vegetables should make about half of your plate. The other half should be mostly protein, but then you can put your your good fats. And if you want to have a little bit of the simple carbohydrates, you can have it on that other other piece. So the the big thing that comes up when we're talking about nutrition here is talking about the difference between a meal and a snack. And um, so uh, a meal should not look like your Thanksgiving plate. It should be small. It should be um, uh, properly portioned. Uh, A snack is just a smaller meal, and a meal is just a bigger snack. So when I decide that I'm going to eat a snack, uh, I'm going to make sure that I have proteins, fats, and complex carbohydrates. A snack isn't just an apple. That's a very healthy food, but that's not a healthy meal or snack because it's missing the proteins and the fats. So having the apple along with the uh, like a handful of nuts, for example, is a great snack. That's a really great perspective. I never thought of it that way. You would think that just an apple would I've, be a snack. I've got an analogy for you. Uh-huh. This is my favorite analogy. That's a campfire analogy. Mm-hmm. Ready? So this is this is how you think about food. You think about it as a campfire. We have to make a campfire. Have you made campfires before? Are you in, you're, Ooh, you're not wisp- since Girl Scouts? Right. Well, you you're from this area. I figured you'd be out having bonfires and drinking all night. I like, usually no? let the mountain men do that, <laughs> and then I enjoy the fire once it's lit. Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about it. If I said, for example, take all of the kindling that you can find, the small twigs and sticks and stuff. And for I, Girl Scouts, that's the coconut. The coconut. <laughs> Oh, God. So uh, take the twigs and sticks and pile them up sky high and light it. What happens to that fire? Oh, it's it's just going to go up in flames and then burn out. Burn out really, really quickly, yeah. right? So if we switch then to say, well, get get some bigger sticks. Let's try it, pile those up. What happens? Um, and I'll answer this one for you because I like to answer uh, questions <laughs> that I, rhetorical questions I ask. So when we try to light those big sticks, it takes a while for them to burn. But when they do get going, they'll burn for longer than those twigs did. And then there's the third type of uh, log that you can put on the fire, those big fat chunks. And the if you tried to light those by themselves, it would take you quite a long time for those to finally start burning. But when they did, they'd be burning for hours, right? Um, so to make a campfire, you don't use any one of those things. If you want the fire to last and get started right away, you would put all three of these things together. You would want to put your small twigs to get the fire started. You would use your bigger sticks to provide energy between when those twigs die to when the the bigger logs catch on fire. And then the bigger logs will um, keep you warm for some time uh, as as they burn slowly. And that analogy works uh, for food. Our simple, uh, our complex carbohydrates, I should say, are those twigs, those sticks and those uh, small little pieces of bark. Uh, literally, some people will eat those <laughs> as part of their diet. But um, the 
those are your your kindling. So you could have a healthy bowl of fruit salad, but that's like making a kindling fire. It's going to burn very quickly. It will give you lots of energy, but that energy won't last. It won't be persistent enough. So we need to add to it the other types of wood to make sure that our fire that we're trying to make keeps us warm over a three to four hour period. And um, so we'll add to uh, a little bit of fruit. Uh, we'll add some nuts like we talked about. And there you go. Now you have uh, a, a properly made campfire that will provide warmth, and in this situation, energy, uh, for the next two to four hours. And that's an important thing to think about. If, if you were to make a campfire, um, even if you made the biggest bonfire, it's going to go out pretty soon like even you know like four to six hours i would say even the biggest bonfire uh that you could make without getting uh drawing the attention of the fire department would uh go out in a relatively short amount of time so if you have these large meals no matter what they're only going to supply you with the energy for so long right so that's why it's better to optimize it and have smaller uh fires throughout uh throughout the day now the analogy of the campfire uh i like because i tell people to envision that you're in the tundra or you're just outside today in Woodstock because it's super cold out and you are um, trying to stay warm. So we need to make a fire early as soon as we wake up because we're we've been warm off the coals from the night before. We need to get a fire going right away. So we get a fire going within 30 minutes of waking up and it's got to be a properly made fire. So that way it provides warmth for the next two to three to four hours. We have a snack. We put a new fire down and we're staying warm. And then a couple hours later, as that fire starts to go out, we, we do our lunch and we keep doing that throughout the day. And we have this consistent warmth. But what does what do people really do? People skip meals. People don't eat snacks. People don't make proper campfires. So the warmth is very sporadic. The, the energy levels are, are uh, erratic. Um, the um, metabolism changes. As soon as you go hungry and get those hunger pains, your body thinks that you're going to be hibernating for the winter. So they, it slows everything down. It doesn't burn the, um, the storage, the body fat. It actually stores more uh, to, to make Make it so you have uh, you can survive the the winter that it thinks is coming. So the best thing that we can do for our metabolism, for our energy levels, is to have a small, frequent meals throughout the day. If you forget to make your campfire out in the tundra because you're just busy in meetings, your toes are going to fall off, right? So we have to keep that fire going as consistently as possible throughout the day. Um, how is that for a, a fun analogy? That worked for me. Yeah. Um, you know, what I think is important to piggyback on that is fluid consumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the second part of uh, the dietary concerns is that uh, not only are people not eating consistently throughout the day, but they're not drinking consistently throughout the day. I live a life as a pharmacist where I don't get a lot of time to do that and I have pounding waters before bed. But that's not good because I'm not providing that, that fluid that the body needs all throughout the day. So. Before we talk about fluids, let me just nail down this dietary stuff because we just kind of glossed over diet and talked about some basics. And I think the basics are the most important here. How to pick out a healthy food without having to use the definition that the blogger gave you, right? Uh, how to have a healthy meal and then how to have a healthy day. It's all about the the choices of the food types we make, making sure they're rich in, in, the, in macronutrients. It's about gathering them together in the proper ratios and then eating them frequently throughout the day. 
none of these decisions are about what you're consuming, what these are about or how you're consuming them. So this is more important for people because this is a habit change. And this is why I start with this. I don't talk about the more complex stuff like the food grade. Do you get local, organic? What, you know, do you get free range chickens or do, you, do your chickens have to have their nails done at a salon every Tuesday, right? We don't need any of that information yet. Right now, what we're doing is we're white belts and we have to start over all as white belts and progress forward. And yes, future conversations around diet will be about food quality calories, macronutrient goals, diversifying your food. So that way you're just not eating, you know, broccoli is healthy. You know, you were saying that it could, you know, blow up your face, I think is what you were trying to get at <laughs> to say it was, you just don't like to eat broccoli. Broccoli is healthy, but it's not healthy if you consume it at every single meal. We need to diversify our food so we get exposed to lots of different micronutrients. Uh, and there's foods that you shouldn't be eating, foods that can make things worse for you. But the most important thing on the wellness pyramid uh, at the white belt level is to understand the habit and building those habits and making those healthier choices is the first step and the most important step to, to really optimizing your wellness from a nutrition standpoint. So let's talk about fluids. Mm -hmm. Let's get let's get fluid. Um, so fluids are important. Uh, your body is seventy percent water, so we need to make sure that we're constantly replenishing and refreshing that supply. You mm -hmm. may not have a fluid uh, uh, problem. I do. If I get dehydrated, my heart goes into an arrhythmia. It's pretty crazy. Really? Yeah. So I don't have like the 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 luck of just getting muscle cramps as many people do when they don't get enough uh fluid i my heart actually goes into afib and then i have to take some medicine my cardiologist gave me to convert me back into normal sinus rhythm as i am pounding the waters because it's my warning side to say hey you didn't drink enough water um i don't hope that everybody waits until they go into arrhythmias before they get enough uh, fluid intake so here are some ground rules for making sure that you get enough fluids every day so first and foremost um the 64 ounces recommendation that's out there, mm -hmm. there's no real like um, definitive uh, amount that you should be drinking. Um, I use a rule of thumb. I just say half your body weight in ounces because 64 mm -hmm. ounces for me isn't a lot at all because I'm like 230 pounds. So uh, I would actually uh, be dehydrated if I only uh, did 64 ounces. One of the things that I like to teach people about um, fluids is just sitting on the couch doing nothing. You watching Netflix all day, literally not getting up, just enough to keep your kidneys alive and just to what you breathe off. Uh, it's about a liter or two, right? Huh. So if most people aren't drinking a liter or two uh, and they're doing much more than just sitting on the couch, there's a good chance that they're not getting enough fluid. So my, my rule of thumb is half your body weight in ounces. That is a revelation because I also have symptoms of dehydration. For me, uh, my eyes completely dry out at night and this is something that has happened before. And I do shoot for the 64 ounces. And when I was younger, I'm uh, 39 now. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I drank more water and it went away. Um, but I am, you know, I'm older now, I'm heavier now. And mm -hmm. 64 ounces is definitely not half my weight in water. I have to use gel in my eyes overnight. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now, like literally today, I'm going to go home and just completely up my just pound intake some water of, yeah. just sit in a bathtub with a straw and yeah, just go to town yeah. i i know so if you were thinking about this from a wellness pyramid standpoint so my eyes are dry what are the things that i can do that will help that out so you know dietary things that can dry out your eyes are there such things maybe i don't know but really like am i getting enough water and uh so 
check off the boxes in in the matter before you reach for supplements and all of these other uh, products to help out. So the the one thing that you have to remember though is that um, not only we're not getting enough water, but some of us are drinking things that dehydrate us. So caffeine and alcohol, for example, will dehydrate you. And uh, you know what the exact numbers are. I, you know there's probably data out there for the individuals based on their size and their weight. My rule of thumb on this is if you drink a serving of caffeine, you know, like uh, eight ounces of coffee, we'll say six ounces of coffee, uh, drink an additional amount, an equal amount in water to make up for the dehydrating effect. Hmm. So if your goal is 64 ounces, let's just pretend you're 130 pounds and you were to drink uh, one serving of caffeine, your new goal is uh, 72, right? Mm -hmm. 64 plus eight. Yeah, that's that, that quick, uh, that's that that quick pharmacist math. <laughs> yeah, she's very, very quick pharmacist math. Very jealous, very jealous of that. <laughs> so, um, so if again, if you're drinking exclusively coffee, which we've had consultations where that comes up, or only caffeinated Oof. beverages, you are you are putting the hurt on. So make sure that you you drink uh, enough fluids to make up for that. So let's talk about sleep. That's next on the process. We've talked about that a little bit with you mm. uh, here in this discussion. So yes, you need a comfy bed. We should all be sleeping about eight hours a night. If you have problems falling asleep, that's uh, typically what we've seen anxiety related. A lot of people um, are having anxious thoughts. We've got some tips for that. Um, have a pad of paper next to your bed, write out all the things that are coming to your mind. But the most important thing with uh, those to-do lists is checking that list. So if you make the list, your brain will get the relief, the anxiety relief, uh, knowing that, oh, okay, the information is safe. But if you train your brain to say, I'm going to pour all of this stuff out onto a list, but never address it again, your brain's smart. And it'll say, hey, man, I don't trust you anymore. So I'm going to keep all that anxious stuff in my head, even though you're listing it out. So you have to make sure that if you are using lists and such um, uh, to, to get all these thoughts and ideas out of your head at the end of the night that you're checking it and rechecking it and actually taking action on it. So that way, those um, psychological uh, loops uh, that are unclosed get closed officially. Um, other times, people just have really poor sleep hygiene. They're up watching bright TVs with uh, home theater systems, or they're using their devices uh, until two in the morning. Um, they drink coffee before bed. They, they do all of the wrong things. So coming up with a good sleep time routine is important. Just like when you have kids, you got to make sure that you turn the lights down, you turn all the music down, you, you, you put the scent of lavender in the air with their, their butt creams and all that stuff. I'm, <laughs> you, you can get butt creams if you want, but lavender is fine. And, uh, you know, and, and you play the soft music and, and no TV and all of this stuff. So those sleep routines Routines are very important, especially for elderly patients that are uh, having some dementia uh, issues. Uh, sleep routines uh, end up being more important than any of the medications that they could be using. Um, some people have problems staying asleep, and there's lots of things that could potentially cause that, and some of them are medical. So my experience working with local sleep doctors and sleep specialists is to loop your doctor in at this point. If you have a problem go, uh, where you're waking up in the middle of the night, it's, it's important to talk to a doctor about it because there could be something hormonal. It could be a breathing issue. You might not have full-blown apnea. But you might have some small breathing abnormalities that could be causing that, and you don't want that to be something that's going on. Um, so uh, if you're waking up in the middle of the night, make sure that we address that with a, a doctor as soon as possible. Uh, but my favorite natural remedy for sleep is a tent. Uh, if mm. There's been studies that have shown if you use uh, a, 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 like a week uh, away at a, a campground with no electronics, no devices, and you start to go uh, to bed with the, 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 your natural rhythm that, that starts to build, you're completely restored by the end of your week. So even people with uh, 
chronic insomnia are back to normal uh, eight hour sleep patterns. But then it soon gets broken with all the, the, the comforts of modern life. So, and they've even shown that you can do that over a weekend. You don't have to get a tent and go camping. You can actually do this at your house. If uh, starting on Friday, as soon as the sun sets, you just go to candlelight and you stop with uh, devices, you, your body will reset uh, in most of the situation by, by Monday if you do that. Um, so, you know, you can do this at home without having to spend the money on, on the tent or the bug spray. So. I, I bet that'd be a challenge for some people, but it's worth it. Um, I would love to throw in my two cents because I've actually had a lot of issues with sleeping. And so this is probably for a very uh, small section of the listeners. But if you notice that you have trouble sleeping in the wintertime and not in the summertime, uh, I found that sleeping with socks makes all the difference. It, it really sucks. I hate it. But you'd be surprised how hard it is to fall asleep if your feet are cold and you might not even be aware of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have noticed that and you don't know why, give it a shot. You will get used to sleeping with socks. It really makes the world a difference. That is some sage advice. I'm mm-hmm. trying to be all technical and evidence-based and she's like put comfy socks on it's not even cool man keeping your feet warm it's so important (laughs) it's very very important uh we we actually double up our blankets in the winter and then we have a fan going in the summer too because like just the air has to be just right for for our comfort sleep Mm. so um the last thing is stress management um stress is a huge issue we have uh political divisiveness we've got social media Everybody's tweaked out, so we need to deal with stress. Um, If we don't deal with our stress, then that will definitely bubble up into all of these other areas, our diet, our sleep, our exercise. All of these things um, not only are related in the pyramid sense up and down, but side to side as well, and stress is the one that infects all of those pieces. Um, you know, my, my thing, there's lots of different ways to manage and deal with stress and they deserve their own conversation just as all of these topics really do. Uh, but meditation and mindfulness for me is the big thing that I recommend to all of my customers. I tell people that you live with a crazy person, not your roommate (laughs) or your spouse, but the uh, person in your brain. Here's a little exercise. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say hello. 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 You don't have to say hello. Hello. So when in this exercise, I said hello and you heard me say hello. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to have everybody uh, try this at home and Dana's going to try it in the studio. You're going to say hello to yourself in your head. Done, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Who said it? Who heard it? Because there was two distinct things that happened there. Ooh, wow. She's, That's she's deep, doing bro. It. It's deep, right? There are two parts of our brain. Parts of uh, one of them talks and uh, it often talks a lot of smack. And there's another part that listens. And what I t- teach people is that the part that's listening, that's you. The part that talks, that's a, the jerk. That's the crazy person <laughs> that you live with. Um, if you think about it, there's parts of your brain that does things that you don't pay attention to. So there's a part that's making you breathe or blink and do all the, the, the stuff that bodies do. And then there's this one guy, this one or gal uh, up in your brain yeah, that, just, <laughs> that just talks smack. It just says stuff. It just uh, creates words. It takes our experience and then turns it into words, which then turns into thoughts, which then turn into feelings. And um, that crazy person just talk smack. It doesn't have to be relevant. It doesn't have to be true. It's just trying to create a story of our, our, our situation. So the, the goal for uh, proper stress management is to separate those two people as much as possible. And that's where meditation and mindfulness comes in. It, it basically says the guy that's talking is over here and he's now talking. And I, I recognize that he's talking, but the guy that's listening, me, 
is somebody different and those things aren't true and I don't have to assign value to them and I'm going to wake up and, and tell him to kind of just stop talking and, and then we're going to move on. So um, again, mindfulness meditation is a very, very important thing and uh, we've done blogs on it and I, I definitely think that people should look, look that up. But uh, if, if you're stress, uh, stressed out, uh, you, that is going to infect every other part of uh, the wellness pyramid and every other part of your life. So managing stress is probably the most important thing that we talked about out of all of this stuff. Um, so let's, totally. you know, let's keep moving. Let's talk about the middle of the pyramid. Yes. The things that you can buy, the supplements. The analogy I love, I think I mentioned in the first episode, is the you're eating the bowl of Cheerios full of pills every morning, a handful of supplements, <laughs> because you were in line once at Whole Foods and they told you that, you know, somebody behind you said that vitamin uh, K is, is something magical that you need, need to have in your diet. So now you're taking vitamin K and like, and that's just what ends up happening is people hear, you know, like it's an urban legend that these, these supplements are good and they end up adding them to the regimen. 10 years later, they don't even know why they're taking them. Uh, they don't know if they're working or not. So we want people to approach, um, this area, the, the things that they buy with the same system, systematic, almost regimented scientific approach. Um, and that will help you, um, kind of be more strategic about the whole thing. Um, you want to not just be willy nilly. Uh, you want to really, uh, have a plan for how you use supplements. So, um, the, the thing here is it's, it's just like with diet, right? We have to start over at white belt level. When we talk about what supplements we take and whenever I do a consult with uh, our, our patients, I, I tell them, don't focus on what you're doing now. Let's start over. And if we have to build this from scratch, what would it look like? And so that's where the concept of the vital five came from. So what are the five nutrients that even the best diets are deficient in? And that's the vital five. So the omega-3, probiotics, calcium and bone health uh, uh, stuff, protein, and those little micronutrients, the, 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 the vitamins and such that may be missing. Um, Supplements should only be supplemental. So if you are eating enough fish, you don't need omega-3s. If you're getting your calcium, you don't need any more calcium. If uh, you're hitting your protein goals, same deal. So uh, that's that's the, 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 the deal here is we want to bring you back and say, okay, let's start for what, what everybody should take based on the best amount of evidence, what's on, on your diet. And then from here, once we've done that, now we can say, okay, what specific supplement am I taking for what specific health concern? And is it working? Um, is it, uh, is it something that I'm getting the right dose of? Am I getting the right form? Am I overpaying? Is the product, uh, meeting proper quality controls? These are all the things that kind of come up next. So, um, do you take any supplements at all or? I do. And actually I'm patting myself on the back right now because I have been taking supplements since I was about 17 Aww. and, um, Young so, Dana. yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, so after, you know, half a lifetime of doing that, I have gone through a lot of trial and error and all of the things that you have outlined just now are, are the process that I went through. Like I started taking a multivitamin, um, and a few others. And over the years I asked myself, what was I, like, what was I noticing that was affecting me? Was I not seeing any difference? And at this point I don't take a multivitamin. Good. Um, I take, uh, kelp. Um, mm -hmm. the, I, I would, I would imagine a lot of women would benefit from kelp and it, I don't think kelp is widely talked about. Um, but it really, it, in my experience really helps with reproductive health. I take a probiotic. I mm -hmm. do take omega threes mm -hmm. 
Um, I take CoQ10 and red yeast rice because I'm very overweight and I'm mm-hmm. afraid of a heart attack. Gotcha. And, um, oh, and biotin. Biotin. And mm-hmm. uh, so those, oh, and I'm sorry, uh, chondroitin. Um, I really <laughs> feel a difference, um, or I'm sorry, not chondroitin, glucosamine. glucosamine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I take glucosamine sulfate, mm-hmm. stop taking chondroitin, um, just, you know, based on a little bit of research that I did, it seemed like it was extraneous for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, when I don't take them, I really feel a difference Which in is how... a big, big, important yeah. thing. So, and the rest of it, you know, like, uh, just when when you see when you see your urine change color and no amount of water <laughs> like lightens it or anything mm-hmm. you ask yourself what am i taking that i don't need that clearly my body is just flushing out so yeah so i think it was like second day of pharmacy school somebody told us vitamins are to sell not to take mm-hmm. so there's a very um condescending attitude uh, amongst the traditional uh, established community against supplements and i don't really agree with it i think that like you said you've recognized that these things have made your life better and they can uh, but we have to make sure that we're doing only what's necessary and the right doses and stuff. So let's beat you up a little bit here. So mm-hmm. um, omega three is, and we don't have to get into the specifics. We can do a, a, like a Dana consult in the future. But um, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that the omega three um, that you're taking or the fish oil that you're taking, um, it's not about the oil. It's about the what's in the oil. And what's in the oil are the two essential fatty acids, omega uh, uh, D EPA and DHA. And um, so those two need to be dosed uh, at about 3,000 milligrams per day uh, from a, an entire nutritional standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So that's from food and from supplements. The FDA recommends you only get 2,000 from your supplements, but some people have a real hard time getting that 1,000 milligrams. And, and so like when you look at your supplement label, you can see very clearly that most of us are not getting anywhere near that amount, Right. Most of us on our supplements are getting about 300 milligrams per dose. Hmm. Um, so you have to look at your label and, and cut past the front and all the marketing and look on the back and see what the number of EPA is and the number of DHA is. Combine those two and divide it by the serving size, because sometimes it'll say, you know, two soft gels and find out what the amount of EPA and DHA per soft gel is. And you will find quickly that most of us are getting ripped off entirely because mm-hmm. we need to be taking uh the 3000 milligrams that means like in your example uh you, how many do you take a day <laughs> i don't know yeah, like i take one. the rec- no I, I take the recommended dose so it's like on two the label or whatever. Yeah. yeah okay yeah. so if it's two so for example that two might be 600 milligrams you actually need to take 10 to get the 3000 milligrams if mm. you're not getting anything from your diet so so that's pretty crazy so if you think about oh i just spent 20 dollars on my fish oil and that's a good affordable fish oil we'll multiply it by five because you're supposed to take five times the amount so your fish oil is actually a hundred dollars a month uh, to get the proper dose right Does that makes sense to you look at you yeah. Um, let me uh, just, this might be like a, a wrench in the works, but um, I, I actually, yeah, I, I should look at the label, but I stopped taking fish oils for a while because um, the, the first time the uh, dehydration in my eye happened, my mm-hmm. eye doctor recommended, you know, uh, taking a fish oil supplement because, you know, that's, those are our, part of the building blocks of tears. 
according to him. DHA, yep, yes. one of the components, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but what I found is that um, after taking it for a while, I was had just become oily overall. <laughs> just an oily person? Yeah, like mm-hmm. my hair. Really gross, real grease ball. Yes, my mm-hmm. hair is very oily, my skin mm-hmm. was very oily, and I am, you know, lucky that um, my skin's oily anyway. I look a lot mm-hmm. younger than I am, mm-hmm. but it was getting to be like That's interesting t- that you had such a dramatic experience because right. most people don't have that, that, yeah. that experience from taking that amount of fish oil. So I, in, again, wellness pyramid, we would say what other variables are there? What, mm. what other things could have caused that? Because most people can take that amount of, uh, well, any amount of uh, EPA and DHA without increasing, like having the amount of oil, like just start leaking out of them, you know? Yeah, it really so, was something, nice. but it, it could have also been the brand. And mm-hmm. maybe at the time, you know, this was about 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't need to take that much extra. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the goal is is 3,000 milligrams. And the reason for that is even with our best diets, we're getting too much omega-6, which is a um, inflammatory uh, uh, essential fatty acid um, uh, and not enough omega-3. The ratio should be about four to one of omega-6 to omega-3. And most of us around 16 to 20 to one. So we're getting about five times the amount of omega-6 because of the types of foods that we're eating, right? So a lot of our grains uh, are rich in omega-6s, and even our our, our uh, meat products that used to be rich in omega-3 because we would feed them um, uh, healthy stuff like grass and, and all of that fun stuff. They're eating grains that, that are bad for us. Mm. So then the omega-6 content goes, goes too high. So again, even somebody that's eating a beautiful plant diet is getting a lot more omega-6s than they are omega-3s. Ironic. Ironic. So we need to be eating lots of omega-3s um, to uh, restore that that balance. So I would just tell you to take a look at your label and at least start there. Make sure that you're getting a, a potent uh, essential fatty acid. And, and when you uh, compare pricing, it should be based on how much uh, you're paying per thousand milligrams of EPA and DHA. And when you do that, you can see really clearly that a lot of the brands out there are these overpriced um, uh, 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 poor quality, uh, low dose o- omega threes. So that brings up quality. You know, we'll talk about quality at, at nauseum, but you know, this is fish oil. So there's two things there: fish, which are gross, mm-hmm. they have heavy metals. You know, mm. and then you have all the stuff that's in the water, PCBs, the plastics. All of that has to be uh, considered when we're talking about fish oil supplements. You don't want to be overdosing on those things. And then it's an oil, so it can go rancid. So you don't want to be drinking. F- you know, fried juice, you know, Mm. uh, you want to make sure that you're taking a a pure uh, oil because rancid oils are actually inflammatory as well. So if you're using omega-3s to reduce your inflammatory picture, uh, omega-3s that are made poorly at low doses aren't doing that. In fact, they could be harming you. So so that kind of goes into, as you can see, you know, because we're not focusing on omega-3 or supplements today, we're talking about the whole pyramid. When we choose supplements, we have to think about lots of different things. So we have to start out with what's what's most important, and then we have to consider all of the product-related um, uh, problems that come up because of the, the natural products industry being as it is. So, um, so what else did you mention? You said you mentioned that you take... Uh, um- Okay, so kelp, so glu- biotin, yeah. glucosamine. The glucosamine. Yeah, I think that's an, uh, that's an example. So um, when we talk about joint health, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we manage joint health? And this is a, a great display of how the wellness pyramid works. So at the bottom of the, the pyramid are foods and things that you can do to affect joint health. So if you have a great diet, you're eating um, not any inflammatory things, you're eating anti-inflammatory foods, you're exercising, you're doing stuff to make sure your joints are healthy and, and the muscles around them are, are really great. Uh, you're drinking lots of fluids, which can cause problems for joint health. And then you take the Vital 5, and omega-3 supplements can help out supporting your joint health, right? So 
we would want to do all of that before we say, all right, let's try glucosamine, right? A lot of people will come in and say, I just want, I, I just want glucosamine. And, and that's not the, the way that we would want to do. We want to have the, like a, a systematic approach to it to address all of the potential variables, nutritional and uh, lifestyle before we move into the supplements. But you're at the point where you're using glucosamine. So again, we have to think about more things than just buying a product that says glucosamine. We have to think about the dose. We have to think about the form, especially with that one. So the dose has to be 1500 milligrams for most people to find success. That's what the best clinical data is showing us. Mm-hmm. And the form should be the sulfate form, not the hydrochloride form. You're going to have, yeah, yep, that's you're what gonna I have take. higher bioavailability from the sulfate form versus the hydrochloride. But even then, a lot of people don't have success with glucosamine. So you have to set an endpoint. What's your end goal? So I want my joints to feel better using this intervention after at least a, a reasonable amount of time. What's a reasonable amount of time for that? It's uh, technically 60 to 90 days. So <laughs> if after 90 days of taking that glucosamine, you, you felt nothing, then you get rid of it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and that's how you experiment with supplements. That's I, I'll in tell a you, I, I, I felt relief pretty quickly. Yeah. So I, I feel like if you need glucosamine, you will know quicker mm-hmm. than three months. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. The, uh, the, the big thing is, is the idea of the objective endpoint. What's the goal here? What that's are we trying smart. to accomplish? Yeah. yeah. So just a, it's a more strategic way to, to handle that. So then, um, so that's the vital five. And then when we add in these supplements, we have to approach them in that, um, more, um, scientific matter, taking into consideration things like cost, we don't want to get ripped off, uh, and really comparing apples to apples. So you can't take a product that, um, uh, does a lot of effort to make sure that there's no heavy metals and dioxins and PCBs, and it's, it's, uh, uh, not rancid and it's uh, of the purest uh, out there. And then the company itself is is uh, Marine Stewardship Council certified, so they're using sustainable practices. And then compare it against uh, a, a fish oil that is not doing any of those things that is one-third the potency. So it's like, oh, well, $20 versus $40. Well, that's not a fair comparison. That That's like night and day. That's apples and oranges. We want to compare apples and apples. So um, so we have to consider all of these different things about supplements when we use them. Are they going to work? What are we using them for? It's all very, very important. Um, you have to have clear goals and uh, you have to regularly revisit to, re-ins- to ensure uh, that you're reaching whatever goal that it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, so that's Uh, I think enough on the middle of the pyramid. So let's talk about the top of the pyramid real quick. That is the part where you bring in the medical experts, the doctors. We can't live without medical experts and doctors, a lot of natural practitioners uh, and a lot of people that are really big fans. They don't like the pharmaceutical industry. They're feeding you poison. I went over it at length in the first episode. Definitely listen to that, uh, my thought on the whole process. The most important thing with navigating the top part of the pyramid is understanding what's real. The natural product industry can be devils and the big pharma can be devils. I talk about that. You want the middle path of wellness. We're using the best of both of those worlds. So we want to use supplements when we can, but when we've exhausted that, that those options, we need to move to natural products. So I had a, a great example of this came up. So somebody, um, one of my customers had a blood clot behind her knee and she needed to go on blood thinners. Um, she really didn't like the idea of taking the prescription because it was going to give her a side effect and she wanted to be on drugs for the rest of her life. So she did some research and she found that there was some supplements that have blood thinning effects. And, and the, the, what I tried to explain to her was while something might have a blood thinning effect, you know, the doctor and I don't care about blood thinning. What we care about is that you don't have a stroke, you don't have a heart attack. So until something's been studied to conclusively say by using this, you will have a less chance of a stroke or heart attack, then it's not a contest, especially because the risk is so high. If you're talking about something like, um, 
a little bit more benign. So if we're talking about the idea of joint health, as, as we brought up here, um, you, you know, and it's like, I have a little bit of pain and he wants me to use a pharmaceutical option and I can use uh, some natural option to help with that little bit of pain, then yeah, we can, we can do the toss up, right? Right. Sleep. If, you know, I want to, go one way versus the other. These are things that are a little bit less dire. But when we're talking about important things like heart disease and such, it's very, very important to, to, to use what's best. And until a supplement has uh, displayed beyond its properties that it can actually cure or treat a disease, which they won't, um, you know, we really, we really can't lean on them. Um, the, the medical industry stinks like the doctors don't have time for you. So you really have to come prepared, right? You have to know that your doctor is going to have a few minutes for you or, um, you know, it's going to be a frustrating experience overall. So it doesn't mean that doctors aren't going to be able to give you good advice. So if you're following the pyramid, you, you can go to your doctor with a list of all the things that you do healthy. These, this is what my diet looks like. This is what my supplement regimen looks like. These are the things I've tried. Okay. And now I'm coming to you. So that way you're having that conversation. Like, I don't need you to tell me to do all of these environmental things. Your doctor will look at you with your allergies, Dana, and say, well, is there a hole in your roof? And 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 you can say conclusively, well, actually, doctor, I've already done X, Y, and Z, and I'm already uh, beyond that. So now I'm coming to you and I need your help. I tell people to have a list of questions ready and understand that you're not going to have a lot of time with them. And it, again, it's not their fault, uh, but that's just kind of how the process goes. You can you know, stand in front of the door and make sure all your questions are answered. And I, I tell people to, to do that. Um, you know, diagnostic testing is another thing in the top, top of the pyramid, um, that a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of misinformation around diagnostic tests. So the uh, approved tests that you can get from your doctor's office will be very telling. And there's been this whole like breed of like, unapproved tests that people are using to tell you that you're healthier and you need this supplement. And that's just something to understand is that the, the, there's a lot of stuff going on in the natural products industry to make the middle of the pyramid, the, the, the supplements and all of that, um, look like the medical professional side of things. So that's just something to, to be aware of is that just because it's like a lab test that you pay for and you get your results on a piece of paper, doesn't mean that it's that legitimate stuff that the, the prescribers are going to do. So all three pieces of the wellness pyramid have to be uh, put together. And like the reason that I, I like the wellness pyramid so much is because it, it stops people from swimming, swinging from vine to vine, right? Where we're, we've got a strategy in place with diet, sleep, stress, exercise, what supplements I need that it's missing from my diet and then experimentation with uh, supplements as I see fit. But all the while I'm, I'm keeping in mind that the, the very top of it is these medical professionals and experts that I need to lean on occasionally um, to, to live the best possible life. So I, does that, does that help you and your allergies at all or, or, no, or yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's actually a really good formula just to, you know, move through life with. For sure. Everybody's got a gimmick. I just think my gimmick's a little bit less gimmicky. That's all. I am a sucker for a gimmick. <laughs> Thanks for coming, uh, Dana, and, and, and getting on mic instead of just laughing at me. I appreciate you actually talking. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. So that's it for us today. Thank you for listening. I hope you uh, got a lot of our wellness pyramid discussion. We'll go into depth on each one of those pieces at different points. Um, we also have the wellness pyramid and all of the related articles on our blog at woodstockvitamins.com. So I hope to see you next time. And just remember, I'm just trying to keep it real. Thanks so much. Take care.